It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Hello, this is the Webbox Podcast. I'm Matt Chorley, bringing you the best of my Times Radio show. You can listen normally Monday to Friday, 10 till 1 on your DAB radio, on your smart speaker or on your Times Radio app. Although I'm off now for a few days, so uh, you'll have Patrick Maguire in your podcast feeds next week. Uh, and you can catch some of the best bits of the show recently. Uh, I've got a special show, Matt Chorley's Very Big Thing, at 10 o'clock on, on Easter Sunday. If that's the sort of thing you like when you're doing your Easter egg hunts. Uh, right, coming up on today's episode then, it's the Times Radio Focus Group with SSE. We've got a panel of undecided voters delivering their verdict on Rishi Sunak, Keir Starmer. And who would they like to have as Prime Minister instead? Yes, somebody does say Martin Lewis. That's coming up in just a moment. First though, it's time for the columnists. Manveen Rana and someone called Matthew on Times Radio. Yes, and this is very exciting. We not only have Manveen Rana in the studio. Morning, Manveen. Hello. We've also got Matthew Paris in the studio. Morning, Matthew. Morning. Morning. Now, we do need to do some housekeeping first of all, Manveen. You promised that when you came in, you would do baking. Yes. That didn't quite happen. <laughs> However, but I have bought donuts. You have. And I, I still have like five, still... one left, so I'm going to try not to eat it while I'm talking. <laughs> They're tiny. I wolfed mine down in like one go, like a canopy. I was too busy talking. Yeah, no, they are delicious anyway. Chocolate-filled donuts. Someone oh. once asked me what what the how the Queen would eat donuts, the like the late Queen, because you have to brush the sugar from round your lips, and the, the reply was public. she would not eat donuts. And that's, that's it. Yeah, because yeah, the thing is, they're trying to eat a donut without licking your lips. No, you can't. You can't. It's impossible. Yeah. yeah. Good. Um, let's right. Let's talk about good old Scott Benton and uh, his. <laughs> His offer to table parliamentary questions, leak a confidential policy document and lobby ministers on behalf of the gambling industry in exchange for thousands of pounds. Um, Matthew, my main thing, I think he's 35. He is old enough to have heard of cash for questions. Yes. <laughs> and he's old enough to have heard of entrapment by newspapers yeah. as well. And um, I think this is a... I d I'm not generally in favour of entrapment, but I think this is a... that You can make a pretty good mm. case... Uh, for this, and, and surely every member of parliament now will look at this and and, and think twice before even answering the phone. Uh, what, why would he do it? I, what influence um, an MP for? Is it Blackpool South? Um, yes. What, what influence he would be actually likely to to have, or what useful information he could give, is very limited. So I'm not I'm not so worried from the point of view of policy being skewed by by these characters. I'm just worried by the 
the, the low motivation mm. uh, and, and the ignorance and the sheer stupidity of some of these people. <laughs> and that's, I mean, that's the, that's the really striking thing with this man, with all of these sort of stings like this, is that he didn't just sort of say, well, I'm, you know, I'm a supporter of the industry, I'll do what I can. He literally laid out like yeah. a sort of shopping list of what he was willing to do in exchange for cash. Yeah, I mean, um, Matthew said entrapment, and I think that's because these stings usually feel like they are, but yeah. he, there was no entrapment here yeah. because he he was offering, you know, before they'd even got the question out, he's laying out all the services he, he can yeah. possibly give. And and I think Matthew's right, you know, this is uh, an MP, a backbencher most people hadn't heard of before, who probably hasn't got that much access. The stuff that really worried me, though, is the idea that he's, he's willing to give them white papers two days yeah. before they're public. I mean, mm. that's market-sensitive information. That could, you know, that that's a huge business advantage to the people he's willing to provide it to for free. Yeah. Um, uh, well, not for free, for, for, yeah, for, for a fee, for, for, for actually. For um, and I, I, th I think that's really alarming. Um, and you're right, you know, cash for questions. How, how do they not know that this is not possible? I thought it was interesting that during, um, you know, as the piece sort of says, ha halfway through the sting, a lot of the MPs who they'd approached had watched something that Led by Donkeys had done recently yeah. with sort of a recording. Mm, mm. And a few of them sort of seemed to step away because of it. So I think there was sort of a sudden alertness to the fact that people were catching them out. But this must happen a lot. But just in the, in the way that he was laying out his services as yeah. if it was expected. And I, I, I still can't get the bit about hospitality out of my head. I'm slightly hung up on it. But, you know, the idea that you sort of go in and this is your first meeting with a company. Exactly. That's the you thing. Know, it's not a long-term... These term... are people you've known for a long time. Yeah. And yet you're already telling them, well, look, the rules on hospitality are this. This is how we, we get around them. Yeah. You only have to declare them if it's £300. It's amazing how many tickets I get for 295 All I need is an email trail mm. that tells me yeah. that, I, you know, as long as I, I can show that I thought it was worth 295 You think, how often is this happening? How often are people getting hospitality that we don't even know about because it doesn't make it into the register? And oh, how yes. much is that skewing the questions that get asked or, you know, the way MPs are... Uh, uh, approaching certain issues in Parliament. That's this goes wider than part. politics, though, doesn't it? Um, you know, GPs being taken on golfing conferences yeah. by drugs companies. It's, it, it's, yeah. um, it's very widespread, really alarming. I'm afraid. What, what, what it would be nice if we on The Times could do, because no, no doubt other members of Parliament were approached with the same mm. sting and it didn't work. It would be quite nice if we could publish the names of the ones who didn't <laughs> want to play the game, which well, would be most of them. Well, but Billy yeah. Kember said earlier, it was eight, they, they identified eight who'd obviously spoken up a lot about the, the gambling yes, industry yes. in the past. Um, but then you're right, the, the, the reasons they didn't might not all, all be because they were completely spotless. It might be because they noticed someone else had been caught out. Yes. What impact do you think this has, um, during those parallels with the 90s and cash for questions, we we're sort of ticking off the whole list now of things that happened in the 90s, um, Matthew. Do you think this will harm... Rishi Sunak in the way that all of that did end up harming John Major? I think what it what it does is feed the general public perception that the whole of politics is rotten, that all politicians are in, in on, on this in some way, that they're all lining their pockets. It, it may be particularly or disproportionately bad for the Conservative Party, but it's bad for the whole House of Commons, really. Um, um, Manvin... What do you think we should do about it? Because there is an argument. For, I mean, I suppose maybe it's when there's money involved. Because it's fine for an MP to say, I've got mm. a lot of gambling companies in my constituency, I'll speak up for them in the same way you might if it was farmers or 
clothing manufacturers. It's where the money's involved, basically, isn't it? Yeah, you shouldn't be being paid for, for mm. this stuff. You know, if you're just representing the interests of your constituents, mm. that's what you're there for. That's what you're already being paid for. I just I just want to remind people about that. You are already being paid to do a full-time job. Yeah. That is to represent people's interests. You shouldn't have to do that on the side for money. I think that's where it becomes a problem. And, you know, Matthew's right, none of this is new. Mm. David Cameron, you know, when he came in, said that this was a ticking time bomb. And, yeah. And it, it still hasn't Although David Cameron said lobbying was a, was, a, was a, the next scandal waiting to happen and then and made it, it himself. <laughs> yeah, I know, exactly. <laughs> with, exactly. With Greenshill. And uh, don't forget the House of Lords, which people yeah. Often, yeah. often do. There's a lot of this goes on there. And there have been stories before about how <clears throat> companies and organisations get passes, especially working for peers in the House of Lords, and actually just gives mm. them... Although yeah. I agree with you, Matt. I think about Colin about this once, about I'm always a bit sceptical about the influence of lobbyists. Mm. But but then partly because there's an awful lot of this to just go. And you're right. What what difference is Scott Benton going to have to the grand uh, grand scheme of things? Well, as, 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 but then they wouldn't spend the money if it wasn't if it no. didn't occasionally turn up results. As I think you you've you you've written that the, the real dupes here, the victims, are are the companies that pay out all this money and do yeah. all this hospitality uh, for something that they could actually get by just looking at Hansard, for instance. Yeah, yeah, just do a bit of research themselves. Yeah. Well, we'll see we'll see where it goes. Uh, we'll see where it goes. Um, from uh, from cash questions to uh, something even dirtier, the state of our rivers. Uh, Lay, the, Labour's analysed the Environment Agency's data and found that almost a million hours' worth of sewage discharges occurred across co coastal communities just last year. Um, and Matthew, there's, there's a, lots of arguments about what who's to blame for the state mm. of our rivers, and you want to talk in particular about the, the role of farming. Yeah, I just wanted to pipe up on that. Farming contributes, I, I understand, as much as or more than uh, water companies to the pollution of rivers. And, and this is how it happens. I live in the middle of, of farmland. It's much more efficient for a farmer to keep, for instance, their cattle indoors and feed them with silage, which you make from fields of monocultured ryegrass, uh, and you turn that into rich silage, feed it to the cattle, of course, you end up with huge heaps of manure and urine, basically, which you then put into tanks and turn into what's called um, slurry. And then around this time of year and, and before, you simply spread the slurry all over your fields of ryegrass. It then rains and everything just drains off into the nearest river. And I, you see it happening mm. everywhere. It's going on all the time. And, and it's not just, oh, aren't farmers wicked? Particularly uh, hill farming, uh, livestock on, on hills, is un undergoing a real squeeze at the moment. And now we've left the absurdly extravagant common agricultural policy an awful lot of farmers are going to be faced with bankruptcy and so the pressures on farmers to be more efficient from their yeah. point of view are very great and I can understand them but the consequences for rivers are terrible. And greener as well, Manvi. But the, the, you know, in a way, it's good that they're reusing the the uh, slurry rather than sort <laughs> yeah. of chemicals and pesticides and all that to grow the grass. But then... You know, then there is a knock-on effect then on the river. Yeah, no, I think it's really interesting. I don't think, you know, I think nobody's really talking about farming and how it's influencing mm. that. You know, I think we're all really alarmed by the figures when you look at how polluted rivers are. Um, and a lot of the blame, quite rightly, goes towards the, the water companies. Nobody's really looked at farming. I mean, I do think... 
the water companies do have a, a case to answer here. Well, I suppose the big, the big, the, the big difference is this is the, the, with farming. There's a that's a that's a knock on, an unintended yeah. consequence. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas with the water companies, it's very much intended because they literally turn the tap on and they pump the slurry into the river. Which is a, is a different of a different order, but they could yeah. they could invest in infrastructure, which meant they could process it and deal with it. Also, the water companies are not going to go bankrupt, and a lot a lot of yeah. farmers yeah. are. Far so, from yeah, it. Yeah. you know, we can all rail on about wicked farmers, but you, <laughs> how are they going to make a, a, a livelihood? A, a lot of families, farming families, all over England at the moment, and and Wales too, are, are facing this. Yeah, um, and and we want them. We want British. Milk. We mm. want British meats. We like to think we're buying local. Oh, they've been fed on grass. You know, all that feeds into our demands. But then we have to take. But I don't know. And also food security. Yeah. You know, like uh, uh, Ukraine has. Mm. If it's taught us anything, yeah, yeah. it's that actually, you know, our, our inflation, the prices of everything mm. that we, we purchase, are really vulnerable if we can't secure our own food supply. I don't know what can we do. With, what can we do instead, Matthew? Well, we'll. The, the I'm answer. sorry, it's not, it's not actually your fault. Is, is, is the answer another extravagant common agricultural policy? Well, <laughs> there, there is a pat answer, which is pay farmers to farm in a more environmentally mm. friendly yeah. way. And that's very easy to say. But how you actually devise the scheme and, and assess the environmental impact of, yeah. the, of each particular farmer and, and give them money for butterflies and things, we must do it, but it's not going to be easy. Yeah, yeah. And I don't, I'm not convinced that, that, that um, Therese Coffee has got a plan yet. You cynic. Um, <laughs> so, Matthew, I don't know if we know how to address you. Are you now your, your honour, your grace? No, no, that, that it's, a, it's a very simple, humble <laughs> honour that I have received. And it's, um, it's so simple and humble that we wouldn't boast by attaching anything to our names. But I have the freedom of the City of London. And uh, in a nice little ceremony last week, uh, I was uh, presented by by uh, by no who is it oh the, the the titles in 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 the city of London are so complicated I'll get it wrong <laughs> but I was presented with uh, a, a beautiful is it the Chamberlain it you... was the Chamberlain there we are yes that's quite right I was led by the Beadle presented by the Chamberlain and there was a lovely little speech by the clerk and then we all had a delicious lunch and the long and the short of it is I can now drive my sheep across London Bridge without a license. Very good, because previously you've been doing it completely illegally. Oh, completely, yes. Yeah, yes. Yes. World of trouble. Yeah. yeah, and those licences are quite expensive. How how does one does one put oneself forward? Are you nominated? No. How dare you? How dare you? <laughs> no. How does this come about then? A, a, a kind friend who is also an alderman on the City of London wrote to me and, 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 and said, I would like to propose you. Would you mind? I said, no, I, I wouldn't mind. And that, that's how it happened. I, I think you. I don't think it has to be an alderman. I think probably others can can propose. It's it's up to whatever committees of council members and alderman aldermen you have to to decide. But one is in the company. I am in the company of Nelson Mandela, for instance. He he received oh, wow. the freedom of the City of London. A lot of humbler people like myself have too. But it, 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 we can laugh about it. And it, of, of course, in a way, it's silly. Uh, but it's a very ancient honour, which once had a practical purpose, which doesn't anymore, but which I, I just felt 
I, I felt very proud to get it. What a lovely thing. It is a lovely mm. thing. Just, I'm just looking through the list. Ed Sheeran's on the list. Oh, yes. Bob Geldof. Henry Winkler. Was he the Fonz? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I think so, yes. Please tell me you're all going to club together and actually buy some sheep. Yes, <laughs> that's what we need to organise. Well, buy llamas. That's what I would do if uh, I had it. it don't, the licence doesn't say you anything keep, about You keep llamas, llamas in Derbyshire. I keep llamas in Derbyshire. Yeah. So yeah. Bring them down. Yeah, they would, I don't think they'd like it at all. <laughs> <laughs> so you don't have to live in the City of London. No, you don't. No, no. who does? Very, very, yeah. very few people. Well, it's extraordinary. Yeah, Manfred, have you got anything to rival this? No, nothing, nothing, nothing at all. Well, you've got a nomination for an award. Oh, the look at you. Um, yes, I have. Well, what well, is I'm, that? I'm, only, I'm only mentioning it because you and I are going head to head. <laughs> oh yeah, okay. <laughs> the competition starts the now. Whole comp- yes, yeah, um, vote early, vote often. <laughs> what is it? The award. The it's best speech presenter at yes, the Arias, we're, we're the radio Oscars. Oh, I know. I should awkwardly. be so torn if I was a judge. <laughs> <laughs> you are kind. You probably, you probably are. You probably are a judge, aren't you? No, as part of this, uh, <laughs> part of this honour. If either of us win, can we still buy some sheep? Yes. Done. But we'll have to. But Matthew is going to have to be there. Otherwise, you and I are going to be running a mock with sheep around Shall Central London. Shall we all London. just take a flock of sheep along London Bridge one, yeah. one morning? Because we can. Now, which one? London Bridge is the boring one here, isn't it? But people will be <laughs> yes. picturing Tower yes. Bridge. Yeah, but it, it was the only right bridge. Right outside the office, uh, though. I mean, quite like, a long you could time. bring them to work. Yeah. And, and so everything had to go across the bridge one way or the other. Remember Smithfield Market, London's meat market, um, at least for the next few months, but for hundreds of years, has been just this side of London Bridge. So there would have been cattle, livestock, uh, being driven across London Bridge all the time. And, of course, you needed a licence. But I don't. <laughs> Which dates back to 1237. Mm. And what do you get? Do you get a, a, a medal, a, a, no. a badge? No, just a, a... I wouldn't call it a certificate, but basically <laughs> <laughs> that's what it is. You, you also get a I little... You get a badge to sew onto your towel with your swimming badges and certificates as well. <laughs> that's what you want. You get, you get a little red booklet yeah. of rules for life. Oh, uh, yeah. For, 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 um, for freemen of the City of London. and uh, it, it, For instance, I am not allowed to encourage insurrection against the king. Oh, and I am also ob- obligated to report uh, to, to the king uh, any insurrections of which I might hear. So there we are. There we are. Mm. Keep your ear to the ground. <laughs> yeah. Well, congratulations. If that's the right, very humble, humble. Uh, Huge um, congratulations! Yeah. What a lovely thing! It's a lovely thing. Thank you. Um, and you bringing in donuts is not going to win my support for you winning the, uh, <laughs> for, for winning the army. I'll uh, be what, sending them to the jury too. Obviously, no, you've, always, you've always been nominated because it's on Stories of Our Times. What can people catch on Stories of Our Times this week? Well, we dropped an, an episode at midnight last night, and it has everything you need to know about the Scott Benton oh, scandal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, including sort of how they went about doing it in, in, in this hotel and how they met up. So do have a listen. It's it's an extraordinary tale. Fantastic. So you can get Stories of Our Times wherever you get your podcast from or on the Times Radio app and you can catch Matthew in the Times on a Saturday and on a Tuesday. Wednesday. 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 Yeah. You do your, your notebook. Have you got an idea of what you're doing your column on this week? I, I'm... Um... Hovering <laughs> at the moment. I'd better not say because I'll need to clear it with uh, yes, exactly. my commissioning editor. I've already done mine because I'm, ho- I'm off on holiday tomorrow, so mine yeah. is already well underway, unusually. Uh, Manbreen Rana and Matthew Paris there, and you can read the stories we were discussing. Just hit the link in the podcast description. You can catch Manveen on the Stories of Our Times podcast, and of course, read Matthew in The Times every week, including on a Saturday. Well, you'll also read my column. Just get yourself a subscription. Go to thetimes.co.uk forward slash Times Red Box. Up next is the Focus Group.
If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready get 30, ready get 20, 20, 20, ready get 20, 20, ready get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. You're listening to the Red Box Podcast now. It's time for this. The Big Thing on Times Radio. Yes, now it's time for the Times Radio Focus Group in association with SSE, powering change for a better world of energy. Times Radio Focus Group with SSE, delivering thousands of green jobs in communities across the country, levelling up our industrial heartlands and accelerating the transition to net zero. Actions, not ambitions, are what's needed now to secure our energy future. SSE, we power change. Find out more at sse.com. Yeah, every month here on Times Radio, we convene a focus group of voters to assess how the government's getting on and to see what matters to people, real people, outside the Westminster bubble. As ever, the focus group was run by James Johnson from JL Partners, former number 10 pollster, uh, but he's much better now. James joins me as ever. Hi, James. Hello, Matt. Uh, right, uh, let's get the legal disclaimer out of the way first of all. What is a focus group? What is it not? And how is it different from polling? Absolutely. So a focus group is not a poll. A poll is a uh, is a survey that goes out to 2,000, 1,000 people. It's designed to be nationally representative. Um, a focus group is a much smaller group of people. It's six to eight people. It's not there. We're not saying, you know, this is definitively what the British public think. Its use is not to say what the British public think. It's to dig into a little bit deeper behind the polling numbers and, and to explore really how people are sort of say thinking about the answers they might give in a poll. Um, and uh, the voters we spoke to this time, a mix of Conservative and Labour voters from 2019, 
who are now undecided. Um, and they're from Crawley, Rother Valley and Stroud. So a mix of seats uh, that are going to determine the next election with voters that are going to determine the next election. And there's been a debate uh, in the past about, well, why are we doing undecided voters when so many people have decided they're, they're, they're moving to Labour? But actually, dig into the polls, about one in five people currently say they're undecided, about one in five people who voted Conservative last time, but still one in ten people who voted Labour last time too. Yeah, and if you look at people who've actually voted Conservative in 2019, there are many more of them who are saying don't know than are saying they're going straight to Labour. Um, and in fact, in one of the latest polls out just this week, uh, Ipsos Mori, that Conservative to Labour switch number was actually quite low. So yeah, this is this is one of the key groups. And the other thing, Matt, is that if you remember a few months ago, we did actually do a group with Conservative to Labour switches, and they basically said the same thing. Yeah, the, the, their views and concerns were, were pretty similar. Well, let's uh, let's kick off then. Let's start, as we always do, James, uh, when you ask them how they feel the government is doing right now. I don't think it's as great as it could be with all the strikes that are going on, how they're going to resolve those sort of thing. At the moment, I, I don't know what the alternative would be. You know, I dread to think about Labour being in. Because everything is, is escalating, so I, I think it's a very tough station and I think they're doing what they can. They're not in a, put themselves in a very good light and they're doing a lot of firefighting and I think they've got a huge amount of trust to put back into people. I feel like they are making very reactive short-term decisions to try and please the population. My concern would be how is that going to be sustained long-term? Uh... It feels like there's a lot of things being said, but there's not a lot of faith in how these promises are going to be carried forward. People have lost a lot of faith. Not too good. I think they're in a difficult position, to be honest. This cost of living crisis that we're in, that I think the trust has gone. They should be doing more to help the people who are struggling teachers, NHS workers, infrastructure. I think there's a lot of stability by bringing Rishi into the fold and they're trying to undo a lot of the damage caused by, for example, this trust coming in over that short period of time. So, James, it's interesting that it's slightly more optimistic or positive than in the past, but still not great for the government. You know, lots of difficult uh, decisions to make. They've lost faith. The slight sense of Rishi Sinek having to clear up the mess left by his predecessors. Yeah, if you compare it to the start, of the very start of the year and sort of November, December last year, uh, there was this real sense of, you know, Britain in crisis, you know, Britain being broken, um, a sense that things were sort of so bad. I think you might remember someone saying, you know, uh, I can't just see a way out right now. Um, we don't get that sort of sense of gloom anymore, but we do get a sense that the government is not doing as well as it could. Um, there's a lot of frustration and also that retrospective sense of things that went badly matters. Um, you know, you heard it there, the trust has gone. Um, and that is obviously really hurting views of the Conservative Party as a whole, even if people are feeling uh, a little bit more positive about Rishi Sunak. Mm. One thing, though, Matt, very quickly, is that if you think back to our groups in 2020, 2021, uh, we always got that sense of the benefit of the doubt. I just wonder whether there was a little bit more of that creeping in again with that sense of they've got a really tough job, they've got a really tough position. Uh, that sense of forgiveness from voters, I don't think is anywhere near, near there yet, but it is one of the first times you've heard that. Yeah, it's interesting. Now, well, let's uh, zero in a bit more then. You asked them to... Uh, to sum up how they actually feel specifically, rather than the government or the Conservative Party, but specifically how they feel about Rishi Sunak. A very capable, 
man and a pragmatic man. He's got a hard job ahead of him, but I think I think he's capable to pull us through it. You know, he's probably the first someone that's a prime minister probably has more money than needs to be a prime minister. So he's beyond being bright. His, his interest will be the good of the, the economy. I think he's a bit of an over-promiser and an under-deliverer. Lacks a bit of authority. Seems to want to make a difference. Through COVID, I think he did a fantastic job. I think his interests are legitimate. It's about us as a nation rather than him as an individual. It's difficult not to tar him with the same brush. We've been unfortunate with the people that we've had previously and their trust sort of issues. Before this, it was all smoke and mirrors. As for now, it just seems to be getting He's got quite a good business head on him, whereas as a leader, he hasn't got that that oomph behind him. He is relying more on other stronger members within his party. But I think if there's any other bad press about him in a newspaper recently, it's to attack his own personal wealth rather than his leadership. The fact that he's independently wealthy is a a good thing. Initially, I was perhaps had a negative view on it in terms of I wasn't convinced that he would have empathy with people that don't have that wealth. Um, I think my opinion has probably changed. I think I'm probably neutral about it now. James, really interesting that drawing out some of those. He's been tarred by the same brush as his predecessors, Liz Truss and Boris Johnson. But then people starting to, to separate out what is important. Is it his wealth or what he's actually doing? Yeah, and you can see this is this is what you what you see acting out live here is that discrepancy in the polls. You know, very positive, uh, um, very negative views of the conservative brand. Sorry, um, but you know, tentatively positive signs uh, of views of Rishi Sunak, um, and we well, can see what the, the effect of uh, you know the last few weeks of Rishi Sunak's performance have made. You know, you can see people saying he's capable, he's getting things done. There's a little bit of difference to the predecessors. He's a bit more serious. Still, some doubts and 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 concerns there um, about whether he can deliver. Um, and whether he's got this oomph, you know, that's always what voters look for from their politicians. Does Rishi Sunak have that oomph? They're a little bit less sure. Um, but yeah, look, I mean, if you're listening to that in number 10, you're thinking we've got something to work with here. And this is why I think the Conservatives are going to be putting Rishi Sunak so front and centre, because voters, for whatever reason, and you remember, they've had this since the pandemic, they really do have a soft spot for Rishi Sunak. And uh, I think Conservatives will be hoping that makes the next election a lot more competitive than it currently looks. This next bit's really interesting. You ask them to grade A, B, C, D, old-style grades, not as not 9 to 1 or whatever it is you get these. A, B, C, D, grading Rishi Sunak's first few months as Prime Minister. I would give him a B on this because I think he's doing quite well. He's, he's not out of the water yet and he was handed a party in turmoil and he's really trying to turn that around. A C because he came in after Liz Truss when his party didn't want him there and he's shown his calibre of stepping up. A B uh, in a very difficult situation. I think he's probably the person to do the best job of turning it around. Yeah, I'll give him a B. Say through COVID, I thought he did a fantastic job and he's took on a very hard job as Prime Minister, but I think he will get us through it. Between a B and a C, because I think he's working in the right direction. I'd give him a C. I gave him a C plus, I think, showing really good progress, great potential, has more to do, and I think time will tell. Well, I'll take that, James. B, C, I can't tell if it was a B or a D. B, B, C, a C and a C plus. I mean, given everything they've been through... Absolutely. And look, I mean, it's a bit old school report uh, sense, but you know, one, uh, one lady said there, he's trying. 
Um, and, uh, you know, but, and, and, you know, often I think, you know, in terms of political commentary, I think we often think that performance is all that matters to voters. You know, you've got to have done something. You've got to have delivered it. Look at the look at the uh, commentary on immigration and small boats. Lots of people writing off um, whether the government's approach will be successful with mm. voters because they say, oh, they can't deliver it. But actually, the voters' intention really matters. Remember, they've got such a dim view of politicians in general that often they assume they're not going to actually achieve anything. So the idea that you might try and you might have the right thoughts in mind is actually really powerful. And that's something that Rishi Sunak is currently trading off of. Um, well, finally, then you asked them: uh, Were there any other politicians or celebrities that Rishi Sunak reminded them of? John Major, <laughs> that very grey. He does what he does, and he gets it all done. I suppose that's it. It hasn't struck me with a lot of real oomph and personality. I certainly couldn't compare him to somebody like Margaret Thatcher. I'm afraid Hugh Grant, maybe. I feel like it's going to be a little bit scatty, a little bit difficult to express himself, a little bit clumsy and fumbling through, you know, a fish out of water in some respects. <laughs> well, John Major, that goes back to this old uh, debate. Are we in 1992 or 1997, territory, Jade? It, it does. It does. I'm not sure exactly what we can glean from, from Hugh Grant, but uh, I think, again, I think that's probably a preference uh, to some of the names that could have been said. I, I sort of just thought it was like a love actually thing. The sort of, uh, you know, finding yourself in number 10 and maybe maybe imagining Rishi Sunak dancing around the, the, the staircase. I don't know. It was a slightly... I think, I think Rishi Sunak will take that. Yeah, I think he probably would. I think he probably would. Now let's turn our attention to the group and their feelings about Keir Starmer. Insincere, slime ball. Can't stand the man. I just think he comes across as so patronising. Don't believe a word he says. Very grey. Doesn't really have a stance on it. Trustworthy. He is capable, but just seems to get embroiled in frivolous matters. Not the best view of him. He reminds me of an irritating brother who just nitpicks. It doesn't seem to be very focused on telling us exactly how he would do it better. I don't really get a sense from him on what his priorities are. I do think he can come across as being really argumentative. I don't think if Labour were to win the next election, he would be a strong prime minister. It just comes across to me as a creep. I don't think there's much conviction in what he's saying when I've listened to him. He's known as Mr Hindsight, of course. There's absolutely no situation in which the government has done anything right to him. Uh, what could he put on a CV that he's done? A lot of the time when I hear him start talking, I will switch over. When he was blaming Boris Johnson about having this party and then he did exactly the same sort of thing. Yeah, not fans, it turns out. But, but let's kick the man while he's down. This is what the group had to say when grading, uh, again, the school grades, Keir Starmer's three years as leader of the opposition. D, shows potential promise, but we don't know anything about him. We don't know his policies, where he stands. And if in three years we don't know that, that's not very good. D, and just thankful that he took over from Jeremy Corbyn. D, I don't think he's done anything remarkable. I'm going to give him an F. I just cannot think of anything he's done. Uh, I'm going to go with a U, ungraded, because he's, he's achieved nothing. Ungradable, because I can't tell you anything about him. Ungradable as well. Must try harder. D, 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 F, U, U, U. James. Oh, it's not great listening for, for Keir Starmer, is it? I mean, they're quite brutal at times, aren't they? I thought Slimeball and Creep was maybe well, a little bit harsh. What's weird, that's not the first Slimeball we've had, I don't think. No, the, no. The, the, this, this sort of slightly slimy, creepy thing, re reaction that some voters seem to have to Keir Starmer, 
um, really, yeah, it's quite striking. I mean, given that I thought the main criticism is a bit dull and a bit, actually, the sort of I turn, it, turn the telly off when he starts talking. It seems like a more obvious reaction, perhaps. But yeah, pe- people, he, yeah, yeah. Image, image, how voters, how positions come across. You know, it's these sort of, it's the, the way that this sort of osmosis of public perception of politicians happens. You know, it seeps through to the public, and it's hard to explain exactly what might have caused that. But uh, that, nonetheless, is a view. Look, I think really important to stress: these are not diehard conservatives. These people uh, uh, have not even made up their mind about how they would vote at the next election. And half of them voted um, Labour last time. That's the, the other indeed. thing to remember. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, So, look, I think this shows uh, a a really important thing about the state of public opinion at the moment. Um, There is this large lead for Labour in the polls, um, but amongst the voters that are going to decide that next election, um, it is not a done deal. um, And they have deep hesitations about Keir Starmer. Now, it's possible that Keir Starmer can address those hesitations. It's also possible that it might not matter. The party brand for Labour might be more important. But I think it really shows that you know, for all of those saying that Labour are going to win, this is all wrapped up, I would just say, you know, when you speak to those voters, and this is not the first time we've heard that, we've heard yeah, this yeah. many times over, it, the, the, the picture is a little bit more nuanced. Digging around in some of the polling as well, um, the YouGov polling on this question of who do you think would make the best Prime Minister? So it's really interesting. It's got uh, the Conservatives are on 26% of the polls, 26% say Rishi Sunak would make the best Prime Minister. Uh Labour are on 46% of the polls, but only 30% say Keir Starr would make the best Prime Minister. And of people currently saying they would vote Labour, a quarter don't say Keir Starr would make the best Prime Minister. Some, most of them don't know. Uh, 3% of people currently saying they vote Labour uh, say Rishi Sunak would make the best. So, so even amongst current Labour voters, a quarter wouldn't say that Keir Starr was the best Prime Minister. And so that there's, there's, clear, there's clearly that sort of... I suppose softness, or you know, he's he's the his party's out polling him. Um, you also let's have a listen to this next bit. Then you asked them who Keir Starmer reminded them of. Desperate Dan. It does seem like he's desperately trying too hard to be what everyone wants him to be, but it actually just makes him just a bit of a character that nobody really takes very seriously. Yeah, the Invisible Man. You know, he's there, but he's not there. Mr. Bean. I just think he's quite comical at times. <laughs> Well, after we'd got over trying to explain to our younger colleagues, James, who Desperate Dan was, um, I think including mo- me, including you. <laughs> All right, thank you. Uh, the um, the Desperate Dan, I think it's the Desperate rather than the Dan, which is important. Um, Desperate Dan, of course, being the pie-eating cowboy from uh, the Dandy uh, comics. Um, but again, it's not great, is it, if you're being compared to Mr. Bean rather than Hugh Grant? No, it's this sense that he's trying to be who voters want him to be yeah. rather than just get, be having think back, think back again to what they were saying earlier about wanting oomph yeah. you know they want someone to tell them how it is tell them their plan give them direction and you know t- uh, pull them along in, in in that direction even if they don't like it that much and uh, they do not get that sense uh, Jim, from, from Keir Starmer at all James just a thought um, some of the coverage this week of uh, Keir Starmer's three years as uh, Labour leader has focused on some divisions in the party about, you know, the direction and the the slogans and the priorities and all of that. And complaints that Deborah Mattinson, his head of polling now in the Labour Party, is too focused on focus groups, and that seems to be dictating everything. She can't be conducting focus groups which aren't here in the... We've heard this now for two and a half years about him when we've been doing them. So it, it, it just strikes me as a bit odd that the 
the strategy supposedly being dictated by the focus groups that the Labour Party runs, but we've been doing them and that they keep on coming up with the same thing. Yeah, and look, I always think, uh, I would say this, right, because I did did, did the same job at, at number 10. I always think the uh, uh, an easy person to reach for to blame is the, <laughs> is, is the pollster who are just reporting what people have heard. Ultimately, it's up to the leader to determine the strategy. And uh, look, I've always said that, um, uh, you know, on this podcast before, um, on this show before, that actually Keir Starmer should try and pick, you know, two or three big moral things even things that potentially aren't that aren't that popular with the public mm. and really sort of take a leadership on them, but, you know, stuff like the, uh, the, the flip flopping over trans issues this week, um, it, it generate it adds to this feeling, this feeling of does he really have a view on things? Does he really yeah. have that that conviction? That is that is as you can as you can see that is turning out to be quite problematic for him. It's not turning them off of Labour entirely. They're still open to the idea. Like I say, the Labour brand could still pull them through. But if it is a presidential contest between Rishi Sunak and Keir Starmer come next year. Um, like I say, things could be these could be tighter than they currently look. Well, given that the group would seem to be so negative about Keir Starmer, uh, you also asked them if there was anyone else they could think of who they prefer to see as Labour leader. His deputy. Yeah, I agree. I think she she gets a point across. She's a woman. Let's give her a chance. I just think she'd be she'd be better. She, I think she's got more gumph about her. I watched Boris Johnson make little of her, and I, I felt she she actually handled herself quite well and came back at them. Well, James, I know that uh, colleagues of Angela Rayner are listening uh, right now. Um, it's quite interesting. She's managed to not only get cut through, but also establish the idea she's a bit more, she's got a bit more fire in the belly. Yeah. And look, you can, uh, you know, fuss over individual policies, you know, particular speeches, pledges, and how all these might have an impact on the electorate. You know, you can analyse it all in great detail, but ultimately what voters are looking for is that sense of strength, determination, uh, and a sense that they stand up for what they mm -hmm. believe in. Um, and uh, we have, it's worth saying, in other groups we've had slightly more negative views of Angela Rayner, but in this focus group, uh, they certainly feel that she does that in, in contrast to Keir Starmer. So, and actually, yeah, un un really unprompted as well. Unprompted. Which is always, which uh, un un unprompted. They do, they do know who she is. And that's the facts from the polls, actually. She's one of the Labour politicians who is who is most known. One very quick point, Matt, is that on Jeremy Corbyn and Keir Starmer's expulsion of Jeremy Corbyn, they did say, see that as a big positive. Yeah, and they yeah. did think that that showed something strong about Keir Starmer. So I don't want to suggest on here that, you know, the, 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 the voters, the swing voters want the left of the Labour Party back. It's just that sense of strength and direction that they like. So uh, taking all that into account, and I think when you asked them how they'd vote, they, most of them, I think, still said they, would, uh, they were leaning towards the Conservatives. But you asked the group whether, despite their feelings about Keir Starmer, they could still vote Labour at the next election. I think I'd still consider it based on their policies. I would still consider it based on, like, he's got Angela alongside him. I would still consider it. Yeah, we'd need to see more from him. But I, I think he does have a strong team behind him, like Angela Rayner. And, you know, for all the time she's there, then there's potential to go forward with them. Yeah, I, I consider it on policies rather than personalities. Yeah, if they have a clear roadmap you know, on the future for the UK, then, yeah, I'll, I'll weigh that up on the day. So all is not lost, James. There's still the opportunity there. They haven't turned against Keir Starmer, but there is this feeling that three years on, they'd like to to feel they knew him a bit better. Yeah, I think that's right. And they want this. They want this plan. They want that. that, that as I said, the roadmap for the future, and they want that from the Conservatives, and they want that from Labour. Because I will say one of the risks for the Conservatives in this in these groups 
is that they are still seeing the Conservatives, and some some listeners will will will, will be you know disgusted by this because, in their view, the Conservatives would have caused a lot of the crisis that we're in. Um, uh, and indeed, you can make that argument as of Liz Truss and Boris Johnson. But they feel that the Conservatives are right for a crisis. They feel the Conservatives are right for the moment because of the economic crisis. Now, if we get to an election actually that comes about the future, the Conservatives could be victims of their own success there. Um, and actually, it needs to be a case of who's going to have the best long term vision for the country. And that's the battle now that Rishi Sunak and Keir Starmore need to focus yeah. on, um, because neither are currently wrapping that one up. Uh, loads of people have got in touch this morning about this. Uh, I absolutely love the focus group, says Lisa. Uh, listening to um, somebody who's not by the name, listen to you guys justifying some of the more ones that the focus group never gets tired. Sometimes they're just more ones, stop patronising them. Lovely, lovely, um, uh, lovely message uh, there. Someone else says, uh, Keir needs a makeover. No grey suits, navy. Uh, wash hair, stop slicking it back. Voice coach to stop that nasal, breezy intonations and get his colours done. Uh, whatever that means. And Arthur says, the comment on style and image over substance exemplifies the problem with democracy. I'll make up my mind on how someone looks rather than their policies and what they will do. Um, and then Tim's just got in touch saying, listen to your coverage right now. What a load of crap. So thank you for that, Tim. Um, <laughs> uh, I suppose, actually, the whole point, James, is that this is how politics works, whether you like it or not. That this is image and style and presentation is a huge part of it. Yes, exactly. You know, twas ever thus. Mm. Um, it, you know, it's been the case since since voting uh, began. I'm sure there's a case to be made that you know, even in ancient democracies, this was the case, and 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 the image yeah. mattered. Um, and it really does. And uh, you know, people can say that the voters are morons all they want, but ultimately, they're going to be deciding who's in number ten. And uh, um, you know, that's the onus on the politicians is going to be to to work out how best to best to appeal to them. Uh, round things off, then a slightly fun question, but I actually think it's quite insightful of what people are. Are looking for in a Prime Minister uh, when they look at Rishi Sunak and Keir Starmer. Uh, you asked a group, dead or alive, real or fictional, who would be their ideal Prime Minister? Morgan Freeman, because of the uh, characters he plays are always um, authoritative, fair and capable people. <laughs> Tony Blair, because I, I quite liked him when he was in. Charismatic, things were, were good at that time. Alan Sugar, quite decisive, authoritative, people respect him, experienced, commercially astute. Superman, he's one with the people during the day and then he can be out there solving all these problems when he gets his suit on. Martin Lewis from Money Saving Expert, he's the kind of person that is like I like, direct, hugely knowledgeable, interested in helping people who need it the most. Winston Churchill. James, take it if we take out the names because we're a slightly eclectic mix, um, and you start getting authoritative, fair, competent, charismatic, decisive, commercially astute, at one with the people, but also able to solve problems, direct, knowledgeable, interested in people. That I mean, that's that's a wish list of what people are looking for from a prime minister, isn't it? It is, it is, and look, no one's going to be able to tick all of those boxes, uh, even even Superman. But um, Keir Starmer, Rishi Sunak, will know that those are the kind of attributes people are looking for from their voters. And it's the reason they like Angela Rayner, because they think she's got that strength and direction. Mm. Um, and it's the reason some of them are warming up to Rishi Sunak, because they think he's just getting on with the job rather than being too showy. So, yeah, really interesting sort of summation of what people are looking for from their politicians. It's not, it's not you know, they're not looking necessarily for the perfect person. They're looking for someone who exhibits those qualities. 
If you look at the Superman, and the answer is that just uh, Keir Starmer needs to put his pants on on the outside, and then he'll um, he'll win them all over. Yeah, I'm, I'm I'm sure that we'll see that we'll see that next week. I'm sure it's next week. <laughs> James, always good to speak to you. Thanks so much. That's James Johnson there from JL Partners, uh, taking us through the latest Times Radio Focus Group in association with SSE. That's all we've got time for on this episode of the Red Box Podcast. Don't forget you can listen to me live Monday to Friday, 10 till 1 on Times Radio. We bring you the best bits here on the podcast. And if you're feeling particularly nice, why not wait and review us wherever you get your podcasts from. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.